can begin. Uh, I'm sure the weather is keeping uh, keeping some at home and uh, maybe delaying some. So uh, let me start us in a in a word of prayer. Our heavenly Father, as we look into the majesty of the accomplishment of our redemption, uh, may we never lose uh, the amazement of it and all that it means to us, and may we uh, hold fast with the sure and certain knowledge that our Savior is holding fast to us. And these things we ask in His name, Amen. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're on the perfection of the atonement this time. Is that right? Okay, good, good. A um, couple of quick things uh, for review. Um, if, if you recall, a uh, uh, couple of the aspects of the nature of the atonement I just want to kind of review very quickly. The first is propitiation, uh, which in my mind, uh, a better synonym or a synonym, I should say, is satisfaction. So that Christ satisfied and cured every liability against us on the cross. Um, the the second one is redemption, which is... Uh, is uh, uh, carries the notion of ransom and purchase. So Christ was uh, purchasing on the cross. Uh, now, if you if you think about it, um, most most evangelical churches today make those activities contingent. Uh, he he didn't really purchase and he didn't really satisfy wrath until we do something like believe in him. Uh, so his work is, is, is again contingent. Uh, or maybe a better way to look at it is it becomes a real possibility. But we have to really actualize it. Until we do something, it's totally passive. Uh, so, uh, so that's fine. I mean, I understand that. But that... Uh, uh, what that means is they are redefining what satisfaction and purchase are. Okay, uh, think of think of the blood of Christ as a as the only medium of exchange that God the Father would accept to ransom His people out of the slave market of sin. Only, but it's also a um, a, uh, a a actual purchase. Uh, you think of it this way. Uh, the reason I use the monetary um, metaphor, um, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, I, on occasion I do this. I'll go into a store like my cleaners, and I have so much on my mind, I pay the bill and then walk out without my cleaning. And the storekeeper says, hey, wait a minute, get your cleaning. Uh, because he knows that ownership is passed to me. I have bought it out of, you know, I've ransomed my clothes uh, that I've left there for him for him to clean. Um, uh, so, uh, all I'm simply trying to convey by that, and it's something you just have to work through, is that uh, uh, Christ didn't do, uh, Christ didn't create the possibility of salvation. He actually saved. Now, it doesn't happen until the Spirit applies it, 
and we believe, but that's the point of the book, redemption accomplished, then it has to be applied by the Spirit. Uh, but there's no contingency on either part. The Spirit's going to come uh, and take everyone that Christ purchased on the cross and make application. And in the new birth, uh, if you remember, we, we talked about dead men can't believe, so He makes us alive in the new birth and we believe uh, because He draws us to the Son and makes the Son attractive to us so that we want to come. But that's a product of His drawing. Uh, so let's look at let's look at perfection of the atonement. Um, uh, Murray begins by saying uh, that the atonement is not ongoing. Anybody recall why he says that? Well, no, he uses a contemporary example from Roman Catholicism. Okay. In the Mass, they're sacrificing Christ every Sunday for sin. Okay? So think of in, in the Roman Catholic system, you're saved when you're baptized. Okay, so you grow up and you commit sin. So there has to be ongoing sacrifice. And that's what, that's one of the things Mass is. Not only is there ongoing sacrifice, you have to go to confession and, and make some self-atonement for your sins. You know, a priest is going to say, save 50 Hail Marys and uh, give some food to the poor. Okay. And then the next week, you're going to do the same thing. Okay? You're going to sin. So it's ongoing. So, so that's what Murray means when he says uh, 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 the sacrifice is not ongoing. Okay? Um, because it's a perfect sacrifice. Uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, oh, by the way, let me add something else. It's really important when you understand Roman Catholicism. Uh, in, in, in Roman Catholicism, your sins are never, for the most part, your sins are never totally paid for in this life. Okay? So they believe in purgatory. And there you're going to make final payment. Does that make sense? Well, because saints on the earth are praying for you and doing things for you. See, they pray for the dead. And, and, and that's why they are praying for the dead. Okay? It's because they're caught in this limbo system and they still need sacrifice of which they're unable to make on this earth because they can't uh, make a donation to the church or say 50 Hail Marys. I mean, it's over with. So uh, saints on the earth have to have to help uh, help them out. Okay, I, I don't know if you, I ever told you this story, but you see on these scrolls up here where we there something's covered over. What's covered over is prayers for the dead to pray for the dead. Here we don't pray for the dead. Okay, so once you die, you know you don't, we don't pray for the dead. So uh, so so the Roman Catholic system of Penance and and uh, purgatory is just ongoing uh, uh, activity in which we must pay for our sin. Okay, now that's all well and good, but what does that say about the sacrifice of Christ? What that's saying is it it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. 
He did the best he could do. And now when you create liability, you have to make payment. So uh, Christ's atonement in the Roman Catholic system system is for past sins. But uh, uh, you have to you have to participate in ongoing, and that's why the Mass is a continual sacrifice for Christ. Uh, so they're repeating the sacrifice. Uh, if, if I remember from the Roman Catholic Catechism that I have uh, in, in my office, the, the, ma- the sacrifice of the Mass is, uh, is propitiatory. So it's satisfying the sins that were committed in the past week. So, uh, so extrapolate that out. A, a Roman Catholic uh, uh, can really never have security and peace in this life. Okay. Uh, because the great question looms, have I done enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I given enough? Have I seen enough? Have I said enough Hail Marys? Uh, have I prayed for the saints? Okay. Uh, you know, by the way, that's another element of their uh, forgiveness of sin. Uh, when they canonize someone as a saint, they're going to pray to that saint for help. Okay. So all I'm saying is that makes Christ to me something of a secondary. He's important be something of a secondary. He needs he needs some help. I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. Um, that's I mean that, you know one of my favorite ways to witness to a Roman Catholic is have you done enough? Have you done enough? And we all know we can't. That's the treasure to us of the sacrifice of Christ, and that we can have peace and safety. So when Paul says Romans five one. Uh, we have peace through God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we can have assurance. Why? Because it's not through us, it's through Christ. Uh, Romans 8.1, there is there, there's therefore now, uh, having been justified by faith, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Not in the Roman Catholic Church, in Christ Jesus. Now the church is important to us, uh, but it's not salvific. Christ is salvific. So, radical, radically different understandings of Christ in the atonement. Uh, Murray goes on to say, and neither is it some form of token payment for sin. It is rather the only satisfaction and therefore perfect and final. Anything that is prejudicial to this view of the atonement must be rejected. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, but I think it's entirely correct. If the logic, if the logic I say logic. If, if what the Bible says about the atoning work of Christ, that He actually purchased, that He actually satisfied wrath, and, and, and I think the verses are quite clear on that. We looked at some last week. Um, then, uh, uh, the sacrifice is over. So that's why we, we read some book and we read some uh, verses in the book. Of, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 9, that Christ is one sacrifice offered one time. Why is it offered one time? Because it was enough. 
it was it was efficient to do exactly what the father intended okay so our our peace and sense of security in our salvation comes i think from the right view of christ yeah, so yeah that's one of the reasons we we teach classes like this so uh he talks about historic the historic objectivity um uh Historic objectivity. So he's taking us back uh, to the life of our Savior. Okay. And if you recall, last last time I think it was, we talked about uh, two aspects of, of the obedience of Christ. Of Christ. Anybody recall what those two aspects were? Passive and active. His active obedience really is really critical. This is. Uh, underplayed in the evangelical church. Uh, but uh, the active obedience of Christ is key to our salvation. Uh, um, as the second Adam, he obeyed throughout his life all of the law. He never transgressed the law. So he was actively obeying the law of God. And if you understand the law that comes to us from the Old Testament, the law demands perfection. Okay. Well, who does perfect? Nobody does perfect. You know, uh, only Christ does perfect. So throughout his life, you know, wh- whenever it was, I really can't tell you, but certainly his, you know, his youth throughout his entire adulthood, he, he never compromised the nature of God or the law of God. He kept it to perfection. And the merits of that, we'll get into this when we talk about the doctrine of justification, the merits of what he did, it's what is imputed to our account. Okay? It's charged to us. Okay? Uh, it's like you're bankrupt, you can't pay, a rich guy comes along and transfers money from his account to yours. He, he charges it to your account and the debt is subtle. And the creditor will never send you another bill because it's been settled. But that's what Christ you know, doing in His act. Of, the merits of His obedience is charged to our account. Uh, you must obey God. Uh, so the merits of that is charged. Then His passive obedience is what He's doing on the cross. The merits of our sin and the entire debt of our sin is transferred to Christ upon the cross and he's suffering for it there. He's paying the bill there. So active obedience throughout his life, passive obedience on the cross. Taking what was due us and suffering for it. Yeah. So the, in that sense, the in, this is one of the things the book of Hebrews is clear on. The entire Levitical sacrificial system uh, is, is ended by him uh, because he paid the penalty on the cross. Okay? Why were they sacrificing lambs and goats and turtle doves and bringing all these sacrifices uh, to placate the wrath of God until the sun would come? Now that the sun has come, that system is over with. It's over with. Because he's paid. Yeah. So, you know, John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God that's uh, uh, that, that, is our, that is our atonement. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So, so when, when Murray says it's historic objectivity, he says, what he's saying here is the atonement was accomplished without any participation on our part. It antedates any and every recognition or response in its beneficiaries. The atonement is objected to us, performed independently by someone else, in our case, Christ, uh, and the objective effects that accrue to us presuppose its accomplishments. Okay. So it's rooted in historic objectivity, namely what Christ did upon the cross. Okay. Um, a verse here, Galatians 2.20 is an illustration of something that's done independent of us. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. Okay, so we know in historic objectivity, Christ was not crucified with Christ. But everything that Paul was spiritually was charged to Christ. And in that sense, he was crucified. The bill was paid. So, uh, independent of, of, uh, of Paul, because we certainly know he wasn't, he wasn't even at the cross. Uh, the historic is not supra-historical or contemporary. Okay? Uh, it, it went supra-historical outside of history. In other words, it's a myth. Uh, one of the things that, uh, has, uh, um, Engage much of liberal Christianity is uh, a denial of the history of the atonement. Uh, it didn't really happen. There wasn't really a, a a resurrection because that's. I mean, how can there be a resurrection from the dead? Uh, it's not important that it happened. It's just important that you believe. So that's that's supra historical, or you know, like. Accept a myth that it's, it really isn't true, but just believe it's true. Well, that's, our faith is based on history. If it's not historical, we're just, you know, we're, we're deluding ourselves. Okay. Um, um, that's why it's, you know, if you kind of struggle with your faith sometimes, look at, look at the crucifixion, uh, and everything that occurred around it, uh, for example, the Jews knew that Christ had prophesied he would rise from the dead. Okay? So they go to Pilate and say, look, <laughs> I mean, his disciples are going to come and steal the body out of the tomb. You have a guard. So Roman soldiers were guarding the tomb. Okay? Um, and, you know, one of the things I tell people all the time is, look, if the Jews wanted to nip Christianity in the bud, they knew where the tomb was. Well, they do just go get the body and say, I really, really want to do this, but we want to end this. Open the tomb, drag the body out. I mean, they would have ended Christianity in its infancy. That's all they had to do. But they couldn't do it because the body wasn't there. Because it was resurrected. Okay? So... Historic objective. The other is contemporary. That's the Roman sacrifice of the math. It's ongoing. Ongoing sacrifice. Okay. Um, some of, some of, um, 
orthodoxy, Greek, Russian, whatever, uh, Orthodox Church, uh, their, their understanding, and this is partially true, is, is uh, uh, they have contemporary priests that are fulfilling the role of the Old Testament priesthood. We don't, we don't do that because Christ is our high priest. Okay, and in Protestantism, we're all priests. Okay, there's not some special class of people that are priests. So that's um, just these different systems of um, the finality of it. The atonement is a completed work, never repeated and unrepeatable. Uh, just look at Hebrews here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Never repeated and unrepeatable is Murray's contention. So let's see if we can prove that from Scripture. Uh, Keep in mind the context of the book of Hebrews. Uh, uh, Book of Hebrews, uh, the, 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 uh, the church that the author is writing was predominantly composed, in my understanding, of Jews. So they had come out of Judaism, they professed faith in Christ, now their faith is wavering. So he's going to take them back to the old, old system and say, look, Christ, Christ is the perfect sacrifice, not bulls and goats and turtle doves, on and on. So he begins with Christ. Let's look at this. Uh, um, well, let's just read Hebrews 1. One to three. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, okay, so we're in the last times, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He has also made the world. So Christ was the creator, uh, Genesis 1. He's also the creator of the spiritual creation, namely our new birth. Uh, now, notice how He describes Christ. He's the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of his nature. Meaning, Christ must be God. Because the only way Christ could be the exact radiance of the glory of God the Father and the exact representation of his nature is he must be God. Okay? And upholds all things by the word of his power. Uh, That again means he's God. Because the power he manifests. Okay, now here's... Here's Murray's point. When he had made purification for sin, stop right there for a moment. Remember, I've been explaining the sacrifice of Christ was a completed work of satisfaction and redemption. So what does the author say? When he made purification, is it contingent? Is it waiting for you to do something? No, he purified sin. On behalf of whom? His people. So he made purification. Okay? When he made purification of sins, he sat down to the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did he sit down? I mean, I mean, this is highly figurative language. There's not a chair in heaven. Uh, uh, so he's teaching us about the nature of the atonement. He makes purification of sin. He sits down because he's finished. There's nothing left to do. Okay? It's like Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3. When, uh, when the Father and the Son and the Spirit 
had finished the work of the physical creation, they rested on the seventh day. Why? Because they're tired? Well, they're not tired. God doesn't get tired. No, because it was finished. There was nothing else to do. And so we read, and we read continually in the book of Genesis chapter one and two. And it was so, and it was so, and it was so, or it was good, it was good, it was good, and then it was very good because it finished. Okay, it's like a worker goes and he builds a house. He, you know, I mean, let's say he's a carpenter. He has his carpentry belt with his hammers and everything else on. Uh, when he finishes the house, he takes the belt off. He never goes back because it's, it's over with. Well, that's what Christ has done. He finished the work. Okay, um, so. Um, um, it's it, it's final. It, it's a completed work, uh, and, and in that sense, unrepeatable. Let's look at uh, chapter nine. Chapter nine, verse twelve. And not through the blood of bulls and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all. Okay, notice. Notice the prepositional phrase, having obtained eternal redemption. Did he or did he not obtain it? Many evangelicals say, well, he didn't really do it until I do something. Look, get your eyes off yourself, put it on him. Having obtained eternal redemption, he purchased us. It's over with. The entire Levitical system is over with and done. Okay? You know, there, I mean, there's some, uh, some strains of uh, dispensationalism, particularly classic dispensationalism, that believe, well, the temple's going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem and they will reinstitute the sacrificial system, blood of, blood, uh, blood of bulls and goats, and a red heifer will be there, blah, blah, blah. Um, for what? For what? He obtained the blood of bulls and goats no longer. It, in the Old Testament, again, the sacrificial system were only a covering to uh, temporarily satisfy God's wrath. When Christ comes, they're finished. And His wrath is satisfied. So the system goes away. So why would I need a sacrificial system in Israel? I, I don't. I haven't figured that one out, but I'm sure they've got an answer. Okay. Um, um, so having obtained eternal redemption, that's the certainty of what he did. Let's look 25 to 28. Nor was it that he should offer himself often. Think of the sacrifice of the Mass. As the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay, He finished it. He put it away. The debt's paid for. Um, um, 
Notice but now once at the consummation, the cross. One time. The Christ is the one-time offering provision of God the Father for all time. Skip down to... Uh, well, well let's, let's finish reading. And inasmuch as it was appointed for men once to die, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time not to bear sin to those who eagerly await for Him for salvation. So His redemptive work was offered once. Why was it offered once? Because it was perfect, and God the Father accepted it. Uh, skip down to chapter 10, verse 10. By this we have been sanctified to the offering of the body of Christ once for all. That's what Murray means when he says it's unrepeatable. You don't repeat perfection because of what he did. It's unrepeatable. If you need to repeat it, it means what? It's not perfect. <laughs> what the author of the book of Hebrews says is, look, it's perfect. He paid, he paid the debt. He finished it. He obtained redemption for all time. Okay? Um, this is why we decry Roman Catholicism and really Greek Orthodoxy or Russian Orthodoxy or whatever, because they're always making sacrifice. Okay? Um, and this is the way of most religions. Uh, you gotta do good. And maybe someday when you step on the scales of eternal justice, if your good outweighs the bad, you'll get into heaven. Well, I mean, we don't, uh, we don't have that view. Our good could never outweigh the bad because it, it, it creates an eternal liability, but Christ paid for it. Okay? This is why, this is why I always ask people who belong to different cults and religions, well, have you done enough? Have you been good enough? Can you do enough? Okay. Again, remind you of historic event, critical in Protestantism. This is what plagued Martin Luther. Um, uh, because in Roman Catholicism, you're always doing. You're going to penance. You're doing good works to try to pay your debt. And so Luther, have, Luther has his famous, at least it's famous to me, this famous question, have I done enough? I haven't, but Christ has. That's the importance of substitutionary atonement. Yeah. So we have a Savior that was our substitute. Okay? Um, uniqueness. The atonement is an example of love and virtue, but not just this. Expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption cannot be emulated. The atonement is never repeated, equaled, and never to be approached. Okay. Um, So, so think of uh, American, uh, the American liberal church. Christ is a, is a, is an example of how we should live our lives. Uh, well, I mean, there is a measure of truth to that, but he's much, much more than an example. Um, um, so, I mean, Murray here is being very, very strong. Uh, uh, much of this language is, is turning upon Roman Catholicism. That's um, always repeating the sacrifice of the Mass. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's, I mean, I understand, and, and I'm not saying Roman Catholics aren't Christians. I'm not the judge in any of those things. God is. I just student of Scripture. Um, so it's up to him. I'm sure there's, like I've told you, I'm sure there's Orthodox and Roman Catholics and, you know, th- that are genuine Christians. They, they just don't fully uh, buy into their system. You know, God saves all kinds of people, stripes and colors and ethnic backgrounds. So, um, and um, um, but it's it, it's good for the truth to purify our faith, and, and and that's what I think Murray is is helping us with. Um, um, some of you, I suspect, have paid off your homes and you have your deed. Uh, you know, that has a stamp on it, you know, paid in full or whatever. Um, take that deed to your old mortgage company and say, hey, uh, I need to make another payment. Show them the deed and say, hey, I, I, I just, I really don't believe this. I mean, I have it in my hand. I get it, but, but I really have to do something more. They're going to look at you like you're nuts. You don't have to make another payment. <laughs> Just go away. They're going to say, "Go away, Bower Socks." You know. So that, that's how we know we should approach the atonement with hearts of thanksgiving and majesty and awe, because it's paid in full. Yeah. Um, so uh, uniqueness—it's it's utterly unique. Uh, it, it's important to recognize that. Uh, the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is the only sacrifice that God the Father accepts. Think back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, he was the perfect expression of the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of His nature. Because of who He was, only His sacrifice is accepted. No other sacrifice is accepted. You know, that's why when you begin to downplay the deity of Christ, I mean, you're really walking on dangerous ground. Because what you're saying is, um, I don't accept what only God the Father will accept. Uh, The author of the book of Hebrews is really, really good on this when he says, um, the high priest would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement uh, and offer prayers for the sins of his people. And, and, and by the way, the Holy of Holies, there was a big cloud in there covering the majesty of the glory of God. Uh, you know, to cover it. Uh, um, but he accepts the work of the high priest. That's over with. The author of the book of Hebrews says Christ has entered the Holy of Holies in heaven and finished the work. Okay, So, I don't need a human priest. Okay? Because I have a priest. It's Christ. Um, and, and again, I, I, don't, I don't rub... You know, I have friends that are Episcopalians and I, I don't rub their nose in that. I just tell them every now and then, you know, in my system of theology, uh, we're all priests. You do your part, whatever it is, you know. Um, 
You know, we have a couple times a month there are ladies that come and do a special janitorial work here in the church. Every time they leave, I say, thank you for being a priest today. Well, priestess, I should be. Yeah. Because that's our priestly work. What? Scrubbing, scrubbing bathrooms? Well, yeah. I mean, whatever it is. You know, we're all different. We all have different gifts. Some people are gifted vocally. Some people are gifted uh, with helps and helping people out. Yeah. Whatever it is, we're priests. And the majesty of it is, None of the works that we offer to God are salvific. They're expressions of thanksgiving because of what Christ has done in saving us. And so we do it out of joy and thanksgiving. Yeah. So, um, uh, intrinsic efficacy. Okay. Intrinsic efficacy. Now, as you know, the word efficacy from a derivative of effective. It's effective. Say, intrinsic, inherent within itself, it's effective. Nothing can make the work of Christ effective but the work itself. Okay? I don't make it effective when I believe. It's, it's effective all by itself in its uniqueness. The atonement is intrinsically adequate to meet all the exigencies created by our sin and all of the demands of holiness and justice. He liquidated debt and procured all of the benefits for us. Okay? He paid the bill. And every benefit that accrues to us that Murray will get into subsequent chapters he fixed on the cross. So that everything, every benefit that will accrue to us relates back to our union with Christ and His work for us on the cross. So nothing's left undone. Um, so let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, some verses. I'm going to go backwards because I'm already in Hebrews. Uh, if you're still in Hebrews chapter 9, just look over at chapter 10. Hebrews 10.14. This is a very, very critical verse. Uh, well, they all are, but certainly in understanding our, our salvation. Okay, so he's talking about uh, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. One offering for all time. Never to be, re never to be repeated. Okay, that's its intrinsic efficacy. It just takes one. Namely, the death of Christ. Okay. We don't add to it uh, because that's disrespect to it and we don't subtract from it because that's a denial of what he did. Uh, both of those are serious errors. Okay. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. And having been made perfect, again, let's go back to the um, incarnation of Christ. In His humanity, uh, in His active obedience, He's doing things throughout His life. 
Uh, uh, and so it's not like he lacked something, but he was living and, and undergoing uh, suffering throughout his life. And in that sense, his humanity uh, uh, goes through the test and passes it all. Having been made perfect, notice he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Okay? So again, we're not denying that we come to him, we believe him, we obey him, okay, as an expression of what he did, but my, what I'm riveting your attention upon is the source of eternal salvation. He is the headwaters of salvation, and you can go nowhere else. Okay? Uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. For as through one man's disobedience, okay, that's Adam's, Adam's disobedience in the garden, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, that's the second Adam, the many will be made righteous. Notice the obedience of the one, that's Christ's active obedience. Obedience, not just any obedience, not my obedience or your obedience, but his obedience in obeying all the law of God through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So he becomes a source of righteousness. His obedience, it's charged to our account. Look at verse 21. And that is as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness, through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? So, um, that's the intrinsic efficacy of the atonement. Uh, as a part of the perfection of the atonement. Okay? He did it. Uh, we weren't even there and He did it. That's, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. So, so next week, uh, we're going to look at uh, probably the most controversial chapter uh, respecting uh, a lot of uh, Protestant faiths today, and that is the extent of the atonement. We've looked at the nature. He did something, the perfection, so it's only done once that he actually did something. So who did he do it for? That's the extent of the atonement. Uh, any, any quick questions? Um, well, good enough. Let's, uh, let's close in a, in a word of prayer. <clears throat> uh, Father, thank Thee for Christ, our great and only Redeemer, the majesty of what He did, perfections of what He did, that we can rejoice um, throughout all the vagaries of life and even our many failures that certainly is true to all of us as we continue to walk by faith uh, imperfectly though it is. Um, it's our Savior who has saved us. 
to that end, we're profoundly grateful. And we're thankful that it cannot be undone, for you cannot undo perfection. Uh, may our gratitude forever grow, and our worship ever grow, and our love for him ever grow, uh, because of what he did for us uh, in taking upon us the weight of our sin uh, and all that that means. And we pray these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.